idea that we're going to have a potluck today. Um, we would love to welcome you, invite you. We have plenty for you uh, just to be a part, to, to experience the life of our church, to enjoy fellowship together. We'd love to have you be a part of that at the potluck right after the service as well. And if you can't make that, we'd love to give you a book on the way out. Um, just see... Uh, there'll be a person standing out there by the resource table. Just exchange your welcome card so we can know we can serve you for a book, and we'd love to bless you like that. Well, for our church, we have been going through something called the New City Catechism. We are laying foundations. We are putting strong foundations down, forming what we believe, and, and really pointing us to what we believe about God's Word and who He is and who we are and how we're to live in the world and so last week, we went through question 25 this past week, which was, does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? And this answer is so significant. This answer is so important. So does anybody want to try reciting that for this morning? Or we'll just, I'll, I'll tell it to you. Yes, in the back. Go ahead and stand up. All of it. That'd be great. Amen. That's great. That's great. That is exciting news in case you didn't hear it. Yes is the answer because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own and he'll remember our sins no more. We have hope to sing about today. Today we are also going to start question 26 and, and that question is what else what else does Christ's death redeem? And let's read this together. Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation. As he powerfully directs all things for his own glory and creation's good. What wonderful news. It's the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of this fallen creation. And God is powerfully directing all things for his glory and creation's good. That, that is a wonderful truth that we can rest in, that we can hope in. Amen? Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll be reading just two short verses again. Um, this all started back with verse 1 of Thessalonians 4, which says um, that he's instructing about how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And he's continuing in those instructions. This is the third set of those instructions. And so we're just going to focus on this third set, verses 11 and 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. So let's read God's holy inspired word together today. And, and hear it anew as if it's actually written to us. Okay? Let's read it together. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands... As we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us in your word. You love us so much that you don't leave us to ourselves to wander and to wonder about what does it look like to live for you. Lord, you, you give us instructions out of your grace, out of your kindness to us, out of your goodness for us, Lord. And I pray that we would hear from you today, that we would hear afresh and that we would apply your word to our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the culture of Thessalonica 
It was full and busy with, with the noise of trade and travel and the latest philosopher, entertainer. It was just filling the air. And, and the city, it was, it was full of materialism and dominated by a culture of, of honor and position. It, it wasn't a quiet city naturally. It was... It was a city that was noisy, full of noise. And, and living a quiet life, it, it would have stood out. And I was going to have an illustration a minute ago, which they're trying to do, but it just it's not working, so it's just flopped. But they were supposed to be texting each other and calling each other and making all kinds of noise and distractions. And for some reason, none of their phones are doing that. So, um, but that's good, because we should all have our phones off anyway, right, while the message is happening. So... Um, it, it, we were just inundated with noise. There we go. We have some noise. That's good. We're inundated with noise. It's distracting. H- have you ever been somewhere and somebody beside you and their, their mobile phone just keeps going off incessantly? And, and you want to like just tell them, shut up, but you can't do that because you're a Christian, right? Or when you're in a meeting and you realize, oh no, I forgot to silence my phone and it's continuously ding, 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 ding. Your kids, your wife, whoever's calling you, um, your husband, whatever. It's, it's, it's making noise. It's distracting. It's hard to pay attention when we're in the midst of a bunch of noise. It's difficult. We're on Sunday mornings. I, I <laughs> we, uh, we had a retreat a little while ago with some pastors from other churches and one of the guys was telling a funny story. He said, well, you know, my, my church, we have... We have some older folks in the church, and one of the ladies, I don't think she can hear her phone. She's not quite sure, but, and, and I thought that she was letting her phone ring because she couldn't hear it. But then she let it ring for a while, then she picks up the phone. Then she started having a conversation in the front row of the service. Just starts having a conversation. She was like, yeah, well, I'm in the middle of church. Everybody in church was cracking up laughing here in this conversation. And it made it so you had to stop because, because it's really hard to pay attention when there's tons of noise. Now, that's not a corrective for here. I'm talking about noise in life. Think about how our lives are just filled with noise, with interruptions, with distractions, and it can be hard to focus. And if that instruction for that day to the church in Thessalonica was relevant into a noisy world, he tells them that he wants them to do some things, to have it to be their ambition, to live a quiet life, to mind their own business, to work with their own hands. He tells them these things because it's in the midst of a a busy world that that God wants them to aspire to something different for a different reason, for a different purpose, to live for different things. And it all began back in verse 2, like I mentioned before. I mean, verse 1 of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, when it says, Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to live or to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, do so more and more. And now this is the third set of commands that he's coming to. Uh, We've seen prior commands about uh, sexual purity by being pure in how we live in regards to other people. Last week, he commanded us to, to love one another with a brotherly love because God has taught us his love. And we just remember that in communion, that God taught us his love by teaching us his love in Christ. And so we're to model and to please God in that way. But now he comes down to another way that's really in how we relate to other people, how we relate to the world around us practically, where most of us live. See, most people in their life at some point will have a job. It it, it fills up a huge portion of our time. Most people will be around other people, generally. 
unless you move to the middle of nowhere in Montana and try to live off grid. But, but most people will live around other people and most people will have jobs and work at some point in their lives. And so Paul gives really practical instruction about how to please God in the daily of life, in, in where we all live practically. And so verse 11, he explains how we can please God by, by being ambitious in, in our life, in our work. That's what he's trying to get us to see, is that we can please God by making it our ambition to live and work as, as gospel witnesses. That's the main idea that he's getting across here, is that, that we please God by making it our ambition. Not just, I'd like to do this, but I'm striving, I'm working hard, I'm making it my ambition to, to live and work as a gospel witness. Because how you live and how you work, it is a witness, whether good or bad. And in verse 12, he kind of explains not only the first part of what he's calling us to do, but he gives us the why that we're to be motivated as gospel witnesses. We're to live and work for God, to please God, and we're to do that motivated as gospel witnesses. And as Christians, we don't, we don't give up the idea of ambition. Some people, when they hear the word ambition, they cringe a little bit, right? When you hear the word ambition, what are some of the things that you think of right now? You can just shout them out. It's okay. When you hear ambition, what do you think of by default? Greed. What else do you think of? Pressure, yeah, what else? Yeah, you, you, think of, you think of this drivenness, this selfishness, this self-centeredness, this pressure, um, wanting to step on other people to get up. And Paul's not talking about that kind of ambition. He says, I want you to have an ambition that's not for yourself, but an ambition to be quiet, to live quietly. I want you to have an ambition to, to work hard, work with your own hands. I want you to have an ambition to mind your own business. Don't mind other people's business. This is a different kind of ambition. And it has a different kind of direction, too. It's not self-centered or self-giving. It's an ambition that's actually meant to be a light to others. It's meant to be a gospel witness. And so that's how he can command the church to, to really please God in how we work and live. And please God in, in our life, be ambitious in our life and work. That's the first idea he wants to get across, is that we please God by being ambitious in our life and in our work. And there's three ways that he encourages us. He encourages us to be ambitious, three ways. He says, I want you to be ambitious. I want you to be ambitious not for yourself, but I want you to be ambitious to live a quiet life. Now, that kind of seems contradictory, right? So you think, wait a minute, ambition normally is driven this, but I'm going to be driven to be quiet? And then he says, I want you to be driven to, to mind your own business. I want you to be driven to, to work with your own hands. Paul talks about ambition as good in this setting, just like he did in Romans. In Romans 15, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not what Christ has already named. Yes, I, I build on somebody else's foundation. What he wants to do is go where God's word has not gone before, to preach the gospel where it's never gone before. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our ambition or our aim to please God. And then he talks really practically in these verses about what it looks like to be ambitious to please God. And, and it looks like starting with aspiring to live quietly. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we should all keep our mouths closed? Is this the dream of every introvert in the room? You know, how many people here consider themselves introverts? I know that's kind of silly, right? I'm asking everybody who considers themselves introverts to raise their hands. Okay, all the extroverts raise your hands. How about that? That's, that's easily, right? All the extroverts, there cannot be that many introverts in the room. 
Uh, there's only five extroverts. Come on, all the extroverts, people who consider themselves extroverts, raise their hands. Excellent. Okay, the rest are introverts. We're not all meant to be one kind of person, one kind of personality. You know, God uses us in all of our personalities in different ways. So this isn't just saying, all of you, be quiet and don't talk to each other. Don't have fellowship after, after the service here when we have a potluck. Don't talk. No, it's not talking about this. It's, it's living in a way that's, that's at rest, that's quiet. Living in a way that's saying, I don't, I don't want to live for others to recognize me. I'm going to live in a way that I want others to recognize God. Seeking to draw attention to God instead of ourselves. And living quietly also means seeking to not argue unnecessarily. You know, Proverbs talks about that, right? In Proverbs 17, it says, Better is a dry morsel with, a, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, it's not, not talking about not talking, but it's, it's the absence of, of this noise of, of arguing. You know, often, though, I find in my own heart, it's hard to be quiet when I'm proud. It's hard to keep my mouth shut when somebody else is wrong. You ever have that problem? When somebody says something that you think is preposterous or even out of the line or even just like, eh, is it, though? You want to say something. And so what this is talking about is actually holding those things back, being quiet, not letting pride drive us, living with our soul being at rest. We don't feel like we have to be heard. We don't feel like we have to engage in arguments. We don't, we don't engage in those things. But sometimes it's hard to be quiet, isn't it? Not about you and your life. But it's difficult to not correct, especially in your own family, and even if it's not an area of sin, and we've been, we've been working on that, hey, is this important? Do we really need to correct that? They told the story a little bit off. You know, maybe they got some of the facts a little bit wrong. Is it really necessary to zero in on all those areas? No. Um, let's, let's strive to live quietly, peacefully. Make it our ambition, at being motivated, a desire to, to build up each other, to honor God. I think that's what Paul means when he talks about it in Ephesians for he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such for building up the occasion that, that fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. James talks about that same idea. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. First Peter 3, he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A quiet spirit is one where we're not seeking to make our opinions known all the time. Now, that's kind of a shock because the world we live in makes his opinion known all the time. It's popular to make your opinion known all the time, isn't it? And Paul's writing to the people in Thessalonica saying, no, our, our ambition, make it your ambition to live a peaceful, a quiet life, a life that's, that's not so noisy, it's not so distracted, Lamentations 3 talks about it this way. It says, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Are, we, are you aspiring to live quietly in that way? Are you aspiring to say, hey, wait a minute. I, am I living and giving in to the noise around me? What am I allowing to enter into my brain? What noise am I allowing to enter in so that my soul's not quiet? Or am I, am I filtering those things? Am I aware of what I'm letting in so that my soul is not disquieted? Because he's not just talking about our speech. He's talking about our state of being. It's, are we living peaceably, are we living quietly, living quiet lives, peaceable lives, lives that are not noisy? I want you to really think about that for a minute. 
You know, where, are you, where are we letting the noise in? Where is the noise in our life distracting us and drowning out God's word, drowning out his voice? There's a constant battle going on in your heart, in your minds for the truth. And the noise will make it so that you can barely hear. So he says into that, he says, I want you to be ambitious to live a quiet life. Live a life that, that it takes wisdom where you're, you're quieting your thoughts, you're quieting your mind, you're quieting your spirit where you're ambitious for the sake of truth and for sake of the good news of the gospel. You know, we, we've been conditioned to respond to noise. And, and if you have your phone around you where you're trying to work and that it is turned on and it's dinging constantly, we've been conditioned to want to check it, to want to respond to it, to those different notifications, all those little pop-ups that you get in all the different apps and all the different things you use. But I want you to ask yourself, what, what noise do I let in that doesn't lead me to God? Do I, do, am I letting noise into my life or am I seeking to live a quiet life? You know, what a contrast that would be, right? In the world around us that's filled with loud voices of politicians and influencers and opinions and memes and things swirling around us. Everybody, everybody's seeking to be heard and make their opinion known. Everyone gets their hot take. Everyone's always talking. Opinions and preferences are loud. What a contrast it would be with, for Christians to live a quiet, peaceable life. That's not getting engaged in all of the arguments around us, not getting engaged in all the hype. And then he goes on to say another way that we can please God in how we live and work. It's, it's living a quiet life, being ambitious for that, but also being ambitious, he says, to mind your own business. Make your business your own business. Mind your own business is what he's saying. It's kind of shocking to find that Bible. Wait a minute. Mind your own business. Stop engaging in what everybody else is doing around you and being consumed by that and letting that influence you and affect you. Now, the church in Thessalonica, they were influenced by this culture around them that, was, that said the status is where it was at. You've made it if you've achieved a lofty position, if you've achieved a higher status, if people respected you, thought you were a good speaker, thought you were funny, thought that you had all the latest fashions. I think that applies today, too. We, we're in a world that it's consumed with what other people are doing or saying or wearing or driving or where they're living. And so into that world, Paul says, stop comparing. Stop looking at what everybody else is doing. Mind your own business. That's hard, though, isn't it? You know, I, I'm thinking through all of the different distractions that, that we have in our lives. It's, there's, there's all of our lives and, and all of social media is geared towards minding somebody else's business, isn't it? Right? You think about that. Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and I can't think of all the other ones right now. My mind is blanking out. They're all about minding somebody else's business. All the news is actually focused on minding somebody else's business. I, I opened up the news the other day and I, there was like six stories about the royals. First of all, who cares we're Americans, but anyway, second of all, like, who cares still? That's somebody else's business. It's, it's, it's creepy. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize you if you like the royals, but it's just weird. Like, why are we so interested in these people's lives? Because we are prone to not mind our own business. We're prone to be busy bodies, to be busy with other people's business. 
And so he says, mind your own business. This is not just a command, though, to people who remember the, the bad example from, was it Little House on the Prairie, Mrs. Olson. Anybody remember Mrs. Olson from Little House on the Prairie, the nosy? Okay. We're all prone to do that, but it maybe looks a little less annoying because we're minding other people's business on our phones, on the Internet, and what we watch, what we read. You know, think about all of the reality shows that are geared towards us minding other people's businesses, finding our identity worth value there, comparing ourselves. But all those things can lead to some really bad things for us as humans who are made in God's image. It can lead us to believe that we need to be made in their, their image. That we need to be like them, other people. And it causes problems too, by the way. It causes all kinds of, of, of psychological issues where we're focused on other people's business too. So God knows that. He's, he says, mind your own business. I don't want you to fall into the trap of comparison that leads to, to jealousy or resentment or inadequacy or fear of missing out or isolation or anxiety, self-absorption, discouragement, all the things that come from not minding our own business. And so for Christians, as we mind our own business and we're at peace and we're trusting God, we're at rest. Boy, what a gospel light that is. But think about where, where are we minding? How much time are we spending minding our own business? Where, where do we mind other people's business where we really shouldn't be? This is a very practical command because it's where we live. It's where people live generally. It's where they live back then. And it's still where we live today. We're prone to comparison. We're prone to look at other people both to get affirmation from them and also to worship them, to think that we need to be made in their image. And into that, God says, no, I want you to please me. Walk in a way that pleases me. Mind your own business. And, and I want you to work with your own hands. And you think that's kind of a funny statement. Why does he say work with your own hands? Well, in that culture in that day, the Greeks believed that, that manual labor was beneath them and they despised people who did manual labor. And Paul is saying, no, actually God created us for work. So not only don't despise manual labor, but don't, don't despise the whole idea of work. And, and even that's crept into our minds and our thinking in our culture today because often we think, oh man, I got to go to work. Right? I mean, how many of us think that, right? I, oh gosh, it's Monday morning, I got to go to work. I mean, everybody does. For me, it's Tuesday morning. But same thing. You know, Monday's my day off, but my Tuesday's your Monday. And I feel that I'm like, oh gosh, I have work to do. Wouldn't it be nice just to hang out around the pool? Now, there's nothing wrong with relaxation. There's nothing wrong with being refreshed. But there's something good and pleasing to God about work. And, and this idea of work being bad has kind of crept into our thinking. We've bought into the world's lie that work is to be dreaded, is to be gotten through, to be endured, because work's not the goal. Life after work is. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You've gotten that wrong. I want you to please God by working with your hands. That actually is pleasing to God. The very act of work, no matter what your profession is, I, it doesn't matter whether you drive a truck, you cut trees, you are an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer. It, it doesn't matter what your background is. Um, all work is actually pleasing to God if it's done for God. And, and, and Paul says, I want you to please God more and more by working with your hands, by doing your own work. Do your own business. Work with, with what God has given you. Put in your grasp. 
And, and the idea of work is so important that, that in Ephesians 4, he says, he who steals must steal no longer. Don't live off of other people's work. But he says, but rather he must labor, must work, performing with his own hands, some of this, the same language, what is good. So he has something to share with someone who has need. So it's actually, actually working for the good of others and working to please God. That's why we work. And did you, did you know that work is not a curse? Work is, is not negative. Now, it can be negative. We can approach it negatively. We can do it negatively. But, but work is a gift. And, and think about what was the first thing that, that Adam was given, that humanity made in God's image. God commissioned him to work, to work the garden, to take this, this example that God had created and duplicate that in the whole rest of the planet, to take this perfect garden. And, and Adam, I, I've given you an example of the work I want you to do. Now I want you to do this work and duplicate my work. I want you to create. I want you to work hard. I want you to see the fruit of your labors. That's a godly good thing. Work is a, is a high and noble calling because we're made in God's image. And God is a God who works. He's a God who creates. He's a God who makes. He's a God who produces. Even his word doesn't return void, but it accomplishes that for which he purposes. It's, it's a calling. It's not a curse. And, and don't be waiting for your next job until you can feel like you can please God. No, you can please God in the job you're in right now by how you work, by who you work for. You're thinking, I'm actually doing this job to please God. I'm working with my hands because I'm pleasing God. And how I work and the attitude I work with, how hard I work, what it looks like when I work, that is worship. And by the way, we're going to get to this in a minute, it's, it's ministry as well. It's, it's, but it's worship to God. Now, this passage is not a corrective of people who can't work. It's not correcting people who are unable to work. But it's saying to those who are able to work, is work with your hands. Accomplish. Be God-like and, and, and carry out the purpose for which he's called you. Work. Be fruitful. Multiply. And the reality is, is that when we think of work, we can say, well, I, I'm not in work, but you know, I want to go into ministry. Well, well, okay, as if what we do isn't work, but that's okay. Um, but that's not how the Bible refers to people in full-time Christian employment or full-time employment for the church. The people who are not employed for the church are people who are ministers. So if you are a school teacher, engineer, sanitation worker, business leader, fireman, manager, police officer, programmer, I can't, I'm just trying to think of different categories, woodworker, whatever you're doing, your work is ministry. Your work is ministry for the good of others, to give glory to God. Your work is ministry. Whatever season you're in, don't be hoping for another season to be able to please God. No, in your work with your own hands, even manual labor is what Paul's saying. Manual labor, like Paul was a tent maker. That's how we please God. In all work, it can be enjoyed from the perspective of, God, thank you that I'm able to do this. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me the ability. Lord, thank you that, that I can do this for you, that I can show other people what it looks like to live for you, even when it's difficult. Even when it's mundane, even when I, I, I'm kind of bored by it. Because we're meant to live our entire lives really as gospel witnesses. And that's the motive that he talks about in verse 12. We, we please God in our ambitions motivated by living as a gospel witness. We're motivated by living as a gospel witness. That's the motive for, for why do we 
mind our own business? Why do we work hard? Why are we living quietly? Well, we're doing all of those things so that we can be a gospel witness as ministers of the gospel, gospel witnesses to all the people around us. And he calls them something interesting there. He says, to the outsiders. And that might be a reference to those who, who were outside, who were invited to the wedding feast but didn't come in. They were only outside. And it says, outside there's gnashing and weeping. Outside is torment. Those who were living outside of the gospel, those who are unbelievers, who are outside of God's blessings, we want them to experience the blessings of God. We want them to see the goodness of God. We want them to come in. And so he says, live quietly. Mind your own business, work hard, so that that might occur, because how you live makes a difference. People notice if you're working and living quietly, working hard, minding your own business, people around you will notice that you're different. If you're not gossiping about your coworkers, people will be like, what? what's up with that? If you're speaking good about people that they don't like, that's, people will notice. If you're not engaging in in maligning your boss and the job that you're doing, people are going to notice. If you're not a whiner, people are going to notice. We do all these things, living, working quietly, minding our own business, to be productive for God and his kingdom. We're, We're ambitious for a different purpose. We're not selfishly ambitious. We're ambitious for him. We're ambitious for his kingdom, that that other people might know Christ, that other people might see our good works and glorify God. To be an example to outsiders through your work, to not be dependent on anybody in the negative sense that, that you're mooching off of people because that is not a gospel witness. If you're living off of other people's benevolence and you shouldn't be, you don't need to be, you're like a parasite, that's not winsome for the gospel. That doesn't mean that, that it's wrong to, to take help from other people. It's actually good and right. And he actually says true religion is this, to, to provide for orphans and widows is what James tells us. So it's not wrong to get if you need. It's not wrong for those to receive who need it, but it is wrong for us who don't need to not work, to not provide for ourselves. It's, you know, God provides for all of our needs, but the way he does that is by us working. So he says, don't be intentionally dependent on others. Love your neighbors by not being lazy. Love others in need and and give and support others. It's an expression of love to not be dependent on somebody else instead of requiring them to help us. There's no condemnation for those who need help, but, but pleasing God is the whole point here. Pleasing God is the whole purpose. It's what we're made for. God hasn't given us these commands to be a burden to us. Whenever you hear commands in the Bible, they're not meant to keep you from something good. It's not meant to hold you back from your best life. No, the commands of God are actually meant to restrain you from evil so that you can walk in the good that God has you, so that you can walk in the good purposes that God originally made you for, that he created you for, that, so you could please him. Because it's actually best for us as humans. Pleasing God with our salvation in mind. We look around, we see all the noise, all the distractions. We see everybody living to see and to be seen. We see people around us living for what they can accomplish, selfishly ambitious. When we're looking at people like that, we're looking at people who are going to go to hell, who will receive God's wrath, who are on the outside. 
And Paul says, I want you to live your life oriented on that reality that you're an ambassador for me. And how you live and how you work, it makes a difference. And, and it's, it's kind of what Jesus was talking about, letting your light shine before men so they see your good works and glorify God. Being salt in the midst of a, of a, of a tasteless world. We've been called to be ambassadors for Jesus. It, it's, it's a privilege. It was, I've been at a few graduations lately, and at each of the graduations, whether it was high school or college graduations, there were these people in white gowns that walked around in the class that, that looked like they were part of the school as well. And I find out they're, they're junior marshals. And a junior marshal is it's, it's somebody who works really hard. They get good grades. They get recognized so that they can work for free. Um, so... But it's actually meant to be an honor. This, this serving and working at the graduation, ushering people around, doing whatever they do, it's an honor, it's a privilege, and they're representing their class. We don't get to represent Christ because we've worked so hard. We represent Christ because he's worked hard. Our hard work doesn't make God pleased with us in the sense of, He's eternally pleased because we've worked so perfectly. No, we can actually please God in our work because our work is already pleasing to him through Christ because all of the merits of Christ's work have been given to us. And so now we can actually live joyfully pleasing God, saying, God, Jesus, because you please God on my behalf, I can live pleasing to you. And how we work and the kind of life we live and who we speak of and how we work for them. Paul says, I want you to have the ambition that you're going to be a witness and a testimony to all those who are outside. There is a beauty in your witness of living like Paul is talking about. Living as missionaries here in your, in your day-by-day experience. The, the world's watching us, taking note. It takes note when you do all things without grumbling and complaining. It, it takes note when you're not selfishly ambitious. It, the world takes note when you don't grumble when you don't meddle in other people's affairs, when you don't take credit for other people do, the, the world takes note. When you're not lazy, when you don't stop working when no one's looking. In, in a midst of a world that's so noisy, where opinions are so rampant, living quietly is like an oasis in the middle of a desert. Where people are consumed with what everybody else is doing, it, it's trusting in Jesus is noticeable. And it's beautiful and it's intriguing. Everybody's trying to get something from somebody else. Live in a way that doesn't seek to get something from others, but seeks to just to provide for ourselves. It's, it's attractive. You know, it, this all may sound unspiritual to you. But you see, what we do in our body is very spiritual. It's actually our act of worship to God. It's less than ambitious about living to please God, knowing that we're already fully pleasing. Let's be ambitious to please God knowing that this is a way that we can glorify him in our daily life. This is a way that we can be ministers of his good news, gospel witnesses, so that others might know his grace. Amen? Let's pray. We'll get in the band come up and we'll close in song.